If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 127. We are taking a brief hiatus from the book of Mark, and we are going to be in a series called The Intentional Family. The Intentional Family. Now, I realize that not all of you here are husbands and wives or fathers and mothers, and so maybe you're going, oh, uh, a series about family, this doesn't apply to me. You may not be a husband, a father, a wife, or a mother, but you are a part of a family. You are a part of a legacy, and you play a huge role in the own legacy that you leave behind. How many of you want to live and leave a meaningful and rich legacy? Amen? The reality is probably most of you, you know the name of your parents. You know the name of your grandparents. Many of you probably don't know the names of your great-grandparents. How about your great-great-grandparents? I want you to leave such a legacy that not just your children, not just your grandchildren, not just your great-grandchildren, but your great-great-grandchildren can look at you and say, I am so much of who I am today because of them. Am I preaching to anybody today? Amen? And so this sermon series is about how you are not going to just stumble there. You're not just going to stumble your way along to leaving a legacy that lasts for four to five generations. You must be intentional about your legacy. And so today I want to talk about living and leaving an intentional legacy. I want to start with this story. I've read this story actually a couple of times in different books. And it's a story, a true story, um, about two different men and the legacies that they left. They're two different men. They lived around the same exact time, and they lived around the same exact area. And it's kind of a tale of two different legacies. The first man is Jonathan Edwards. Now, that, that name actually might sound familiar, and the reason why is Jonathan Edwards, um, he was a theologian, he was a pastor, he was an evangelist. Um, he was a man who loved God with all of his heart. Now, he was not a perfect man. If you want to find his flaws, you probably wouldn't have to look hard to find them. The same way it probably wouldn't be hard to find some flaws that you have. He was a father of 11 children. And he had this habit, this habit, this rhythm, this thing that he did day after day after day that was quite normal. If he just did it once, probably wouldn't have been that impactful. If he did it twice, Still not so much, but the fact that he did it day in and day out made a pretty significant impact. Here's what he did. He would come home, and for an hour, he would converse with his bride and his 11 children for an hour, and then, this, this struck me, he would pray a blessing over each child. 
Jonathan Edwards was born, I think it was in 1703, lived during the 1700s. And they did a study. There was a study done on his family, the kind of legacy he left behind. So 1703 was when he was born. We're talking about 300 years, friends. That's a long time, but really it's not that long when you think about it, right? Here is his, I had to write this down because there's so much there. He left behind a legacy where he had a family tree of 300 ministers or missionaries. That was his downline. You looked at his family tree, 300 of the people that came from his family tree were missionaries or ministers. 120 were university professors, 60 were authors, 30 were judges, 14 college presidents, three members of Congress, and one vice president. Not a bad legacy. Like, we got to tip our hat here, all right? Some of you are like, well, there wasn't a president, just a vice president. <laughs> it's a pretty impressive legacy. There was another man who lived in a similar time. His name was Max Jukes. He was in the New York prison system. Um, and I think it was about 150 years after he died, there was a sociologist who had discovered that about 40 members of Max Jukes's kind of downline legacy, 40 of them were in the prison system. And so this sociologist in the late 1800s, I think it was, I think it was like 1887, 1897, something like that, decided to do a deep dive and study Max Jukes's legacy. Lived and born and lived around the same time as Jonathan Edwards and studied his legacy, and here's what he found in Max Jukes's legacy. Max Jukes, there was 42 different men in the New York prison system. Seven were murderers. There was an additional 60 that were thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, and 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. I realize that we could just take these two examples and set them at odds against each other and maybe paint a more vivid picture that's that real. But here's what I do think we can all accept. You are building a legacy. You are building a legacy. Whether it's good or it's bad, whether it's intentional or unintentional, you are building a legacy. You are part of a legacy and you are building a legacy. My question to you today is how intentional are you about that legacy? My question to you today is what kind of legacy, if you could choose the legacy that you live and the legacy that you leave, what would it be? I want to take us to a passage that's in Psalm 127. It's a passage about legacy. Now, admittedly, this is a passage about legacy God's way. 
So if you're not a person of faith, maybe this won't ring as true to you. I am a person of faith. And so it rings very true to me. And what I love about this passage is it teaches us how to do legacy God's way. It teaches us what happens when we do legacy God's way. And I think it teaches us just some practical things that we can begin to do starting now. Before I begin reading this, I feel like it'd be appropriate for me to pray and ask for the Lord's help. So would you join me? Father, um, family is really important to you. The very first gospel, Matthew's gospel, where it talks about Jesus and the story of Jesus, the whole opening chapter is a list of a family tree that led to you, Jesus. Family matters. Legacy matters. You have given us each the opportunity to be a part of shaping and molding that legacy. God, my prayer today is that you would stir something in each and every person's heart to think about the kind of legacy they are living and are leaving, whether they have children or not, whether they are married or not. They would begin right now thinking about, praying about, and intentionally aiming at the legacy that you have uniquely called them to live and to lead. We pray this in your name. Amen. Psalm 127. It goes like this. There's actually a heading. It says, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. Now jumping into it, verse 1. Unless the Lord, everybody say, the Lord... Unless the Lord builds the house, everybody say house. Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early. Have you ever woken up really early and you're like, why am I even doing this? I never do that. And it says, and in vain those who rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, this is a poem. This is poetry. And some of you are going, what in the world does this have to do with family? Now, that word, the reason why I said, had you say the word house out loud is because that Hebrew word used for house in a number of other places in the Old Testament, it is a poetic way to talk about family. And what Solomon is writing and saying is if the Lord does not build your family, the labor is in vain. If the Lord does not build your family, your labor is in vain. 
You can wake up early and get a jump start on the day. You can wake up in the middle of the night and take care of that crying baby or that seven-year-old last night. I'm like, it's, come on, man, it's 10:15. let's go to sleep. Like, you can wake up early, you can stay up late into the night, you can work yourself to the bone. But if God does not build your family, the labor's in vain. You'll get to the end of your life and you'll realize I didn't build anything that, that lasted. I didn't build anything of eternal value. There will be a day where you're going to be on your deathbed. I just think of... Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tim Keller. Tim Keller, some of you know him. He's probably one of the greatest, most impactful Christians of, of our lifetime. Wrote incredible books. He got cancer for the second time, pancreatic cancer, and got diagnosed in 2020. And I was reading the updates from his his son is giving these updates online about their dad who finally passed away. I think it was on Friday morning. And I had friends texting me because they know I'm a big Tim Keller fan. They're Tim Keller fans. And, um, and I was reading the updates and, and his son was just talking about how his dad would just say, Thank you for your prayers. Tell people thank you. But I just want to go see Jesus. And he could say that because he had his children walking with the Lord. The only thing I care about on my deathbed is that my children and if God would give me grandchildren, and maybe God would even give me great-grandchildren, the only thing that would matter is that they are walking with the Lord. I could care less about how much money they make. I could care less what kind of house they live in. I, could, I just want them to know and walk with the Lord. Why? Because that's the only thing of eternal value. I think of my grandmother who had pancreatic cancer, I've told this story once or twice. It's one of the most powerful moments of my whole entire life. I got to be a part of being a caretaker for her for the last couple months of her life. I would go over in the morning and my grandfather would open up his Bible and we would do devotions together. And my grandmother, she's like in, in month nine or month 10 um, of her cancer diagnosis and treatment and they gave her 11 months, 12 months to live, and that's about exactly how long she lived. And a month or two before she passed away, I can remember being on my knees as we were praying together, and my grandfather and, my, and myself and my grandmother, we are just in tears. And me and my grandpa are begging God to extend my grandmother's life. I'm just begging God. 
and we're praying out loud. And my grandmother, she starts to pray, and she just says, God, all I want are my grandchildren to walk with the Lord. She gets it. If the Lord does not build your legacy, I promise you the labor is in vain. But on the flip side, let's talk about the flip side for a moment. If the Lord builds your house, if the Lord builds your family, your labor is not in vain. In fact, when God builds your family, I'm telling you that God will do way more than you can do yourself. Psalm 127, I actually discovered that, I think, this week as I was studying it. This is actually a meditation upon a story that occurred in Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 12. There's actually a number of different psalms that that are like that. They are meditations, like poetic meditations on stories that had taken place. Psalm 127, the poetic meditation is on Genesis chapter 11 and the first part of Genesis chapter 12. And some of you are like, I know exactly what that story is. But by the cue of the audience right now, most of you are like, I have no idea where that's at. Quick, quick. I don't even see any of you like rushing to Genesis 11. No, no, you just stay right where you're at. So this story might sound familiar. In Genesis chapter 11, a group of people, literally a group of families, got together and they said this, let's make a great name for ourselves. Let's make a great name, a great legacy for ourselves. And they said, here's how we're going to do it. We are going to build this massive tower that reaches to the heavens. Now, some of you are like, that's the stupidest idea ever you're going to make a great name for yourself by building a big tower? How many people have tried to make a great name of themselves by building a great house? Getting a big bank account. Right? So it's really not too far off the way that our culture says, this is how you make a great name for yourself. Get a, climb up that corporate ladder have a great career, have a great income, have a great house. That's how you make a name for yourself. And if you remember the story, they build this massive tower, and as they are building it, God is not in it. And here they are laboring, and they are toiling, waking up early, staying up late, trying to make a name for themselves, and God says, I'm not in this. And so God literally intercedes and confuses the project by confusing their language and they all disperse. And the story is called the Tower of Babel. Do you know what comes right after that story? A story of a family. And it literally traces the family tree to a man named Abram. And God comes to Abram and says to Abram, Abram, listen to this. I am going to make your name great. I'm going to do it. 
I am going to give you a great name, a great legacy. Now, mind you, Abram is like well into his 70s here. His wife is barren. She's quite old as well. And Abram's like, a little too late for that, all right? Like, I'm old, okay? My wife is old, all right? And, but listen, when the Lord is in your legacy, he does things you can't. And so the Lord comes to him and says, I will make your name great. I will literally make your family great. You know what Abram's family tree is called? You know what they're called? The Israelites. When you let God build your family, he will build what you can't. He will do in your life, he will do in your children's life, he will do in your grandchildren's lives what you can't. But know what else happens when you let the Lord build your family? Not only will he do what you can't, but he will redeem what you screw up. Sorry for, like, to-the-point language here. Why do I say that? Do you know who was the author of this psalm? I already said it. This is a test. Are you listening? You're like, dang it, no! Anybody? Solomon. Thank you, class. Whoever said that, you get gold stars, okay? Thank you. This is actually, he, Solomon only writes two psalms that we know of, at least in the book of Psalms. This is one of them. Do you know a little bit about Solomon's legacy? So Solomon had a dad named David. David is known for two major things. He is known for being a man after God's own heart. This was a man that said, God, I want you to build my family. In fact, there's a story in, uh, is it 2 Samuel 7, where David is king and he has followed God and God has blessed him and David comes to God and says, God, you have blessed me and my family. I want to build you a house, a temple. Literally says, I want to build you a house. Because at that point, there was just a tabernacle, this tent. That's how people went and worshiped. They worshiped in a tent. And, and David says, I want to build you a house for people to worship you in. And God comes back to David. You know, what, you know what God says to David? No. You're not going to build me a house. Listen to this. God says, I'm going to build you a house. Hebrew word is house, but he, it literally means family. Same Hebrew word that's used here. And here you have David just saying, Lord, I want you to build this family. And the Lord says, I will do it. You turn the page to the next chapter, I believe it is, or maybe it's two chapters later. And David sees a beautiful woman that is not his wife, and he sleeps with her, commits adultery. Figures out that she's pregnant. And so, she, so David has her husband murdered.
David goes along for about eight or nine months thinking he's gotten away with it until he's confronted. And you know what David does? He repents. He says, I've screwed it up. I've messed up. I've blown it. Forgive me, God. I want you to build my family, God. And I tried to take the reins from you. And David's, he ended up marrying this woman. Her name was Bathsheba. The child that she had died. But then she had another child. You know what that child's name was? Solomon. I imagine as Solomon penned this, he is thinking about how his dad and mom decided to to have the Lord build their family. And even when they failed, even when they messed up, God was able to intercede and redeem. Husbands in the house, any husbands? You're gonna mess up. Wives in the house, anybody wives in the house? You are perfect, you can do no wrong. No, I'm <laughs> Moms, dads, husbands, wives. Those of you who are not even married yet, your legacy begins now. You think, oh, I'll start my legacy once I get married. Once I start, I'll start my legacy once I have children. No, 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 you start now. You start now. You are gonna mess up. But when you allow God to build your family, he will take what you've blown and will redeem it. My parents divorced, I think I was two years old. They'd be the first to tell you they failed. A few months ago, I'm sitting down talking with my dad and talking about our family history, and my dad said to me, Zach, out of you and Kate and Luke, it's my older sister, older brother, he said, I was worried about you the most. So why? Well, you were, you were so young when we got divorced, and I just didn't know how you were gonna handle that. My mom and dad would tell you that they messed up. They failed. But you know what they also did? They got to the point where they surrendered their lives to the Lord and said, Lord, I need you to build this family even though I've messed up. My dad remarried my stepmom on these steps right here in 1996, August 16th. Somebody can do the math somewhere, okay? I got to see my dad become a different person because of my stepmom, a more godlier man. I had this godly stepmom in my life. God redeems your brokenness. My mom is now remarried to a godly man named Paul. And I can just tell you story after story after story 
of the mistakes my parents made or the mistakes that I made. But when God builds your family, he will redeem what you mess up. You can't afford building a legacy on your own. When you have the God of the universe who is ready and willing to come alongside you and build your family. So so how do we do this? Let's end with the rest of this passage. In verse three, Solomon writes, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. That, That word heritage, other translations say, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a, a reward, a gift. I, I had, um, I will never forget this. A friend of mine, her dad once told me, children are like God blowing you a kiss. I love that image. And I had children of my own, and I realized it is like God just going, I love you. And it's also like God doing this, whap. <laughs> I love you. I, can I just, I, I want to just say, um, this, this, this doesn't seem like it's a point that needs to be made, but I, I, I feel like it, it, it should at least be said. If you want to intentionally build a legacy, you want the Lord to build your legacy, treat your children as gifts from God. Treat your children as gifts, as a reward from God. They are not yours. They are God's before they are yours. Love them as gifts. Discipline them as gifts. Invest in them as gifts. I wonder, those of you who have children, whether they're young or maybe they're adults, if you ask them, do you, do you think I look at you and say, you are a gift? What would they say to that? I can say for certain, my dad, my mom, my stepdad, my stepmom, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, you see me as a gift from God, a reward. Why? Because they won't stop telling me. It's just over and over again. I'm like, I'm a grown man. But it's funny how even as a grown man, you need to hear it still. I think the bulk of this, what we can do is in the rest of this passage. Um, The first part of this passage is about what God can do for you to build a legacy. Let him build your family. The rest of this is is what you can do. Verse four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. A quiver is like that little thing. I should have wore that. Katniss wears it. Have you ever seen that movie? She got the quiver. It's a good movie series, okay? Got the quiver. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
But I love this, this image that we are given here. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Okay, Danny, I need your help. Will you, I want you to bring this over here, this, this thing right here. I'm going to go ahead and handle this baby since uh, even though Faye was very nervous about me holding this earlier. <laughs> Will you just put that right here? I want them to see the target. I'm not even going to aim at the, I want them to know I'm not going to aim this at them, Okay. Okay, we are given a metaphor here. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Daniel, let me borrow these. You didn't even trust me to put the tip on them. <laughs> I'm literally offended right now. I was actually told this was a child's bow. He didn't even give me the real thing. He's a wise man. Okay. Let's talk about arrows. I asked Daniel to bring me an arrow. This is a nice arrow, right? Do you think Solomon had arrows like these? So Solomon, if he wanted an arrow, he'd go find a stick. And then he'd have to take that stick and literally, over and over again, shave it down, carve it down, over and over until it's perfectly straight. You put the tip on it. You put these little, these aren't even feathers. This technology is pretty incredible, guys, okay? Uh, but you labor over and over to make this thing straight so that when you shoot it, it doesn't go everywhere. Your children are like arrows that need to be shaped and molded over and over again, so much so that it usually takes 18 years to do it, and even then it doesn't seem like enough time. But the word picture is over and over and over again. In Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about, um, where it talks about shaping and molding your children, it, it uses this Hebrew word, um, sharpen your children, uh, teach them diligently is what the English translation is, but in the Hebrew, it's literally sharpen them like a sword. Like if you're gonna sharpen a sword, you literally grind it over the stone over and over and over and over again the same way if you want a straight arrow is you just sharpen it, make it straight over and over again. The picture is over and over and over and over and over and over again. Parents, if you, if we want our children to be shot straight, there are things that we need to do over and over and over and over and over and over again. Call them rhythms, call them habits. They are shaping and molding your children. There was a study done that found that 75% of kids who grew up in the church, 75% of them will walk away from the church between the ages of 19 and 29. The 25% that stayed, they all had five things in common, five habits, five rhythms of making them straight and sharp 
Rhythm number one, they had family dinner five out of seven nights out of the week. Rhythm number two, habit number two, they served with their parents in ministry. Number three is they had some kind of ownership in, in the church or in ministry in an area in which they served. Rhythm number four, they had one, just one time a week, a spiritual experience in the home. Family devotion, maybe. And number five, they had someone in their life that was not mom, that was not dad, that was a kind of mentor to, a spiritual mentor to them. That's why I am dead serious about having you guys pray and consider about serving in children's ministry. Because our children need people other than mom and dad that will pour into their kids. I can think and look at certain people. Micah has been pouring into my son for like seven or eight years. James has been pouring into my son for about two and a half, three years. And they come home and they're like, Micah said this, James said that. Okay, great, awesome. <laughs> I don't do that because Micah and James are saying the right things. My point is this, the 25% of the kids that, that, that stayed straight and said, no, I, I want to belong to my faith, the church, the faith family matters, they had five habits in their home that they grew up with for about 18 years. What habits of the home do you have that are helping your children aim straight? We want to help you so badly in this that on the way out, I want you to grab this little pamphlet here. It's going to reflect, I think Peen might put up a, a little graphic here, but we want, you to, we want to encourage you to think about shaping your family shaping your children, shaping yourself. This isn't just for children. This is for adults too. But six different areas. We want you to intentionally build a legacy in. So grab one of these. Here's the last point I want to make. It says like arrows in the hand of a what? A warrior. Not a man, not a woman, a warrior. The Hebrew word for that is most translated a man of valor. Come on, man. Does that not sound good to you? How many of you want to be a man or a woman of valor? Come on. I'm preaching now. Why are you not all raising both hands, okay? I think that's very intentional because here's what I know about a man of valor. He knows what he's aiming at. He ain't lazy, he's disciplined. He considers the wind when he shoots. It's called culture. He considers the distance in which he's from. Now, does a warrior just like, you know, I'm not, listen, I'm not even, do, I don't want to hurt anybody, okay? Does he just like, you know, put, just kind of aim here, you know, pull it here? Or what, what do they do? They get their target in their mind. Where do you think a warrior aims? Right there. 
What is the bullseye of your legacy? What is the very specific thing you are aiming at? It's called the mission statement. It's called the family mission statement. And I think way too many of us, we've got our kids, or maybe we don't even have kids, and we, we're just wandering around and just kind of shooting here, shooting there, it's whatever, no big deal. No, aim. Who do you want your children to become? Who do you want to become? Who do you want your grandkids to become, your great-grandkids to become? You have to aim. And to aim, you have to know what you're aiming at. And so here is my challenge. I want to challenge you with one thing. Whether you have children or don't have children, whether you're young or old, no matter where you're at, I want you to sit down and I want you to pen your bullseye your family mission statement. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? We want to be so intentional about this. We've literally made a worksheet for you here. We've got all kinds of papers we're sending home with you today, okay? If I find these in the garbage, I swear, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have someone pick up the bow, okay? <laughs> Daniel, okay? Listen to how this passage ends. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The picture is this man can go to the gate of the town. And, and that's the place where business is done. That's the place where like the, the people of most respected eldership go. And it's also the place if someone from a different village has beef with you, they come. And the word picture is this. They come to the city gates and people are like, oh, okay, all right, mad respect. That guy, that gal, they have their life, they have their family in order. I have nothing but respect for them. That's the picture and what's interesting in the Hebrew here, it can be translated two different ways. It can be translated where it's, it's, the, it's the father who's aimed the arrow, who's built his family upon the Lord, and it's him who's being honored or respected. The other way to translate this, the NIV translates it this way, where it's actually not the father, it's the children. The children, they go to the city gate and everybody respects them and honors them because of the legacy that God has built in their life. So what kind of legacy are you building? What kind of rhythms, habits do you have in the home that is shaping who you and your family are becoming? What's that bullseye, that mission statement that you have? Write it out, define it, and aim it. And then imagine what God might do. Imagine what God might do in the decades and in the generations ahead.
Jonathan Edwards. He was famous for praying for his children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren before any of them were even alive. Let's be intentional about the legacy we're building. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care about family. We thank you that even though we are not perfect, you are perfect. We thank you that you are a good father. That you can take the things that we've messed up and you can redeem them. We thank you that you've brought us into your family, Heavenly Father. You've brought us into your family by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place and then to rise from the dead and bring us into your family. Lord, I pray that our people would, they would be intentional about the legacy you want to build in them and through them. Would you minister to us even right now? 